Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 1, as we follow along with today's lesson. Another son, Herod Antipas, was the Herod who was called the Tetrarch because he was over a third part of the original Herod's kingdom. And he had built the city of Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee as his capital because he was ruling over that section of the country. He was there at the time of the ministry of Christ. He was the one who, at the instigation of Herodias, his wife, uh, to behead John the Baptist. Now, Herodias had originally married another Herod, Herod Philip. However, when... uh, No, I think I'm getting confused. It wasn't... (laughs) When... Herod Antipas was going to Rome. He stopped by and visited his half-brother and um, fell in love with his wife, Herodias, who was also his niece. And so uh, he went on to Rome, and, uh, and when he came back, she ran off with him. And uh, he married her, and that's where John the Baptist got into trouble because he said, you shouldn't have Herodias. You know, she's your brother's wife, and it's wrong. And so uh, she held that against John the Baptist, and at an opportune time uh, had uh, John the Baptist's head uh, delivered on a charger. But this Herod Agrippa then was the brother of Herodias. So there is a relationship there. Herod Agrippa was sort of a 'er ne'er-do-well. He was educated in Rome. He lived a very extravagant life, ran up a lot of debts in Rome. Uh, He finally came into disfavor with uh, the ruling Caesar in Rome who sort of banished him to a Idumean fortress called Maltha, and uh, there he became so despondent and discouraged that he contemplated suicide, but his wife talked to uh, Herodias, the uh, wife of uh, Herod uh, Antipas, and so Herod Antipas gave him a job of inspecting Uh, the marketplaces and gave him a a salary. And that went along well for a little while, but then they got in a big argument, a public kind of argument. And uh, Herod Agrippa then took off and went up to Syria uh, and uh, where he had a school buddy who was sort of a ruler up there. And then they got in a big argument, so he headed back to Rome. And uh, while in Rome, he became acquainted with uh, Gaius uh, 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 Caligula, and uh, he then, though, got in trouble because he was telling Gaius Aquigula that Tiberius, who was the present 
governor, present emperor of Rome, he said he ought to relinquish the kingdom to you because you're much more skilled than he is. Well, a servant heard that, reported it to Tiberius, and so Tiberius had Herod Agrippa put in jail. And uh, six months later, Tiberius died, and uh, Caligula took over uh, the position of emperor, and he gave to Herod Agrippa I a gold chain of the same weight of the chain that held him in prison. And he also gave to him the rulership over a portion of Judea. So he came back now to Judea with uh, the title of king, King Agrippa. I mean, King, yes, Agrippa I. And this made Antipas angry, and his sister Herodias was furious. And so she pushed Antipas to go to Rome so he could get the title of king too. Herod Agrippa heard that Antipas was going to Rome for this purpose, so he sent messengers ahead with bad reports about him so that when he came to Caligula to get the title of king, actually he was banished and he lost his kingdom, and it was given then with his properties to Herod Agrippa I. Now, as Herod Agrippa came into power in Judea, he wanted to curry the favor of the Jews. They, the, he was a favorite of the Jews because he had made a study of the Jewish religion. And he kept their holidays, and that impressed them. Uh, usually the Roman rulers were quite indifferent to the spiritual needs of the Jews, but not Herod Agrippa. And thus he was a favorite of the Jews, but to further his ingratiation from them, he, as we have here in our text, stretched out his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. This is, of course, one of the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. He was in the inner circle with Jesus. He, his brother John, and Peter were chosen by Jesus for special occasions. When Jesus was transfigured, he took Peter, James, and John into the high mountain. They were the ones that witnessed the transfiguration. When Jesus came to the house of Jairus, whose daughter had died. Jesus put all of the people out of the house, but he took Peter, James, and John into the room when he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. Later on, when Jesus was in the garden praying the night that he was betrayed, he set the disciples in one place and said, Tarry ye here. And he took Peter, James, and John a little further. And he put them closer to him as he commanded them to watch him pray lest they enter into temptation. So one of the three that was chosen by Jesus to be a part of the inner circle, he with his brother John 
and Peter. So Herod killed James with a sword, beheaded him. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. But then were the days of unleavened bread. Now, according to the tradition, no one was to be tried or no one was to be put to death during the holiday of unleavened bread. So he put Peter in prison and he delivered him to four quaternions, quaternions of soldiers. Now, quaternion is four. So you might say today four quartets of soldiers. So there were 16 soldiers who were given charge to watch Peter. Uh, they would work in shifts. And thus you have the four shifts consisting of six hours in which the groups then would be replaced by another. Now, as a general rule, and it was uh, broken with Peter, as a general rule, the prisoner would be chained to his guard, his right hand to the guard's left hand. In Peter's case, he was chained to two guards, one on either side. And then there was a, another guard at the door of the cell, another guard at the door of the ward of the prison. And thus, there were four guards constantly on duty watching Peter. He intended to bring him after Easter. Now, the word Easter is put there by the English translators. Uh, in the Greek, it is after the Passover. Uh, but uh, because there is a uh, relationship between Easter and Passover, uh, the translators uh, use the word Easter, but uh, that is not in the uh, original uh, Greek text. Um, but after this uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is in conjunction with the Feast of Passover and follows the Feast of Passover the seven days afterwards. He was intending to bring him after the feast because then they could legally again have a trial. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So how long he was in prison, we don't know. Maybe a few days that he was there in prison, awaiting the end of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread that he might be tried and, of course, executed. And the day before Herod was to bring him forth, the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door who kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. 
And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird yourself and bind on your sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast your garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that it was true, which was done by the angel, but he thought that he was seeing a vision. He thought he's dreaming. This is a vision, you know. Uh, And so he went out and followed him. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed through one street and forthwith the angel departed from him. Got a block away and the angel departed. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the people of the Jews. I I recognize God has set me free. He's delivered me. Now, It's interesting to me that God is not limited uh, to methods. He can work and often does work by a variety of methods. And I think that it is dangerous for us to try to sort of formulize God, to... Uh, develop methodology, which we are so prone to do. It's so easy for us to get into a rut. This is the way God did it, and so this is the way God does it. And, And we get caught in a rut. I think that that's one of the problems with the church. I think that the church has been caught in a rut. That is, speaking of the church general. There are many churches that are still following the same forms, singing the same hymns that they did 200 years ago, 300 years ago. They're caught in a rut. And the only difference between a rut and a grave is the length and the depth. And thus the churches are dead. A dead formalism or ritualism. God works in a variety of ways. And I think in each age, God is very contemporary with the age in the way and the method by which he works. As we have seen God work, we have seen him work in a very special way. And we have seen him raise up a special style of music, the worship music that we have. Now, it seems in every movement of God, the movement has had its own music that sort of represented uh, that period of time. Martin Luther, of course, was in a attempt to reform the church. 
His attempts at reformation failed because he was excommunicated from the church. He did not plan to start a new church. He was seeking to reform the old church. But it's hard to pour new wine into old skins. So Martin Luther was excommunicated, but not more than that, the church then decided to make war against the Reformation movement. And there were many horrible battles fought over the, uh, the Reformation. So the music of Martin Luther sort of expresses the militancy. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, you know. I mean, it was, you know, you get the power of the militant force that was there. He was criticized for the music that he wrote. He did write many hymns. But because they broke away from the chants, he was criticized uh, because the music told stories. The music made sense, the words. And, and thus he came under heavy criticism. But yet now, the music that he wrote, which was reflective of that time, the old hymns of the church. You know, and they become the traditional old hymns of the church. Then Dwight Moody came along with his song leader, Iris Sankey. And Sankey introduced a whole new style of church music, a little more uh, light and uh, still uh, very contemporary. In fact, Sankey took a lot of the worldly tunes of his day and uh, wrote Christian words to them. And he got into an awful lot of trouble because he took worldly tunes and wrote Christian words to them and and thus there was a lot of criticism. But now those songs of Sankey are the old hymns of the church. And we revere them as the old hymns of the church. And now we see a, a whole new uh, form of music coming out of this movement of God. And one day they'll say, oh, the good old hymns of the church as uh, they sing some of our choruses, which shock so many people today because of the contemporary nature of them. But in time, uh, they will be accepted as a part of the whole history of the hymnology of the church. God is not bound to methods. Later on, God is going to release Paul and Silas from the Philippian jail. But rather than sending an angel to open the doors and escort them out, God's going to shake the, the walls down. He sends an earthquake, shakes the walls down, and Paul and Silas are released. So he's a God of variety. Don't try and put him in a box. He won't be confined to a box. And, and that is what really so often happens. I think that that's sort of the... 
the, the foundation of most denominations. This is how God moved when this denomination, this movement of God was raised up. This is how God moved. This is, this is the music God, that God lived. And you get caught in a time warp because you think that this is how God moves. So God help us to remain flexible, that we don't get in a time warp and, and uh, in years to come people say, well, Chuck Smith did it this way. Well, forget him. <laughs> Be open to what God wants to do. If he wants to have a new movement, if he wants to work in a new way, praise the Lord. And, and let's be open to, to the moving of God and the moving of his Holy Spirit, though it may break from the way it was when God first began the movement here. So here is Peter, delivered from prison in a very interesting way. So when Peter had come to himself, he was free out on the streets. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now remember back in verse 5, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So he knew where Mary's house was. They there are traditions that say that the Last Supper was in her house. She was the mother of John Mark. Mark, the author of the second gospel. The church was meeting in his mother's house. John Mark later joined with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. However, halfway through the first missionary journey, Mark got homesick, decided to go home, and so he left Paul and Barnabas, who went on together over into Asia. And later when Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to go on their second missionary journey, Mark said, oh, I want to go with you. And he was the nephew of Barnabas, so Barnabas said, fine. Paul said, oh, no, no. He deserted us the first time. I don't want him to go now. And so Barnabas said, well, no, he's different. He's grown up. He's matured. You know, come on, let's take him. No, I, don't, I won't take him, you know. And so the contention between Paul and Barnabas was so great that uh, they, they split fellowship. Uh, Barnabas took Mark and he headed off to uh, Cyprus and Paul took Silas and they headed off into Asia Minor. Later on, Paul is writing to Timothy and he said, bring Mark with you. He's been of great help and comfort to me. So the breach that was created was healed and... Uh, and, and so Paul makes mention of Mark once more. Now, they're in his mother's home in Jerusalem, and they believe that Mark was only about 12 years old when Jesus was crucified. 
Mark's gospel has an interesting little insight that isn't in the other gospels. Mark's gospel tells us that when Jesus was arrested in the garden, one of the soldiers grabbed a small lad who wriggled free, leaving his coat or his robe in the soldier's hand and ran naked out of the garden. And Mark there was giving his own little personal experience of what happened to him. He was uh, young, but loved to hang around, as, as there are those little boys that love to hang around the action. Uh, Mark was one of those and uh, was there in the garden when Jesus was arrested. So uh, he had a background in the things of the Lord from early youth. Now, Peter knocked at the door of the gate, and a damsel came to hearken, whose name was Rhoda, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter was standing before the gate. And they said to her, you're crazy. Now, remember, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Peter. He came to the house where they were praying for his release. There's a knock at the gate and the young girl goes to find out who's there and Peter said, it's me, open up. And she was so excited, she forgot to open the gate and just ran in and said, Peter's outside. And they said, you're crazy. He's in jail. I wonder if sometimes we put an overemphasis even on our faith as a necessity for answered prayer. Because obviously they didn't have faith. <laughs> God works in sovereign ways his wonders to perform. And though there was a lack of faith in their prayers, still God answered the prayers. Have you ever been surprised when God answered your prayer? I have. I've prayed earnestly for things and when God answered, wow, can't believe it. <laughs> And so they were. But she constantly affirmed that it was so. Yes, it is. Peter is there. He really is. And they said, oh, it's a ghost. You've seen, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. So when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. <laughs> I love it that God gives us insight to the weaknesses of people as well as the strengths. So many times we look at men of God, men that God has used, and we think of them as kind of a little above human. We think of them on some kind of a spiritual plateau that is impossible for us to reach. But God shows to us their frailties. God shows to us their imperfections. 
And I believe he does that in order to encourage us that we might know that God can use imperfect people. Now, I personally get great comfort reading about Peter and realizing that God could use Peter. And if he could use Peter, then maybe he can use me. And so we are given insight to the flaws in order that we might be encouraged to realize God uses plain, ordinary people to accomplish his purposes. So Peter beckoned unto them with the hand to hold their peace. And he declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the other brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, the James that he is talking about here has become a recognized leader in the early church. This James to whom Peter is referring, of course, is not James the brother of John. He's already been martyred. But this is James the brother of Jesus who did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection and Jesus appeared to him and he became one of the leaders of the early church. This is the James that wrote the epistle of James, the practical epistle. So Peter said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. And interestingly enough, this is sort of the end of the story of Peter in the book of Acts. Except when the first church council was called in chapter 15 to determine what part the law should play with the Gentile believers, actually to determine whether or not you could be saved and be a Gentile. Peter does speak at the church council, and there he recounts how God called him to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and Peter suggested that they not put on them the yoke of bondage which neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. Let's not try and put them under the law. We weren't able to handle it. But as far as anything more of Peter's ministry, we don't know. It's gone. This is the final account. He just went out to another place. Now, no doubt he went into hiding from Herod Agrippa because you can be sure that a tremendous search was on for Peter. Uh, and thus he no doubt went in for a period of time into hiding from Herod Agrippa. So we do know that Peter did go to the church in Antioch, created a little problem with his vacillation. Paul had to deal with it as Paul tells us in Galatians. Tradition has it that he went to Rome. There is nothing to back up that tradition. Uh, 
the story of Rome where he was encouraged by the saints there to flee Rome because Nero was seeking him to uh, crucify him. And as Peter was fleeing from Rome, according to the tradition, Jesus met him on the road and said, Quo Vadis, where are you going? Or Peter said to Jesus, Quo Vadis, and Jesus said, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. And Peter uh, took that as uh, the um, fact that the Lord uh, wanted Peter to there be identified with Jesus in death, and so Peter went back to Rome and was crucified, according to tradition, upside down, uh, because he said he was not worthy to be crucified as his Lord. Uh, that's all tradition. There could be fact or uh, to part of it, to all of it. We don't know. It's, but you can't, you know, it's, the scripture sort of ends here, the account of Peter's ministry and Peter's life. He departed and went to another place. Gone. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And when Herod sought for him and found him not, he examined the guards, the keepers, and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and he stayed there. He was angry, he ordered the guards to be put to death, but that was Roman law. If you were given a prisoner to watch, and if that prisoner escaped, then you had to serve his sentence, which indicates that it was Herod's intention to put Peter to death, and thus those soldiers that were uh, required to watch him took the sentence that would have been Peter's and they were put to death. Now we read that Herod was highly displeased with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, they desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. Now Herod Agrippa ruled over this area, he was in Caesarea, which is probably uh, 40 miles south of Tyre. But the people of Tyre and Sidon were nourished, that is, they got their food from Israel. Israel to the present day is very fertile and uh, supplies much of Europe with the fruits and the vegetables, especially in the winter season. Because in the area of the uh, Jordan Valley, they grow fresh vegetables all year round. And so the men of Tyre had come down to sort of placate Herod to make up and, and to get things all in order again, Beseder. Uh, with uh, Herod. And so on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, 
and made an oration to them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It's the voice of a god and not a man. Now Josephus records this event. He tells us how that Herod came into the theater in Caesarea, and he was wearing a robe that was made of silver. And this robe there in the theater glistened in the sun. And all of the people began to shout, he is a God, he is a God. And Josephus tells us that he got stomach cramps and that five days later he died. That's the way history records this event. Here we are told he was in royal apparel. Now, just a few weeks ago, we were in the theater in Caesarea, the place where the very theater that was there at the time of Herod, the theater where he made this oration to the men of Tyre who acclaimed him as a god as he was there in this royal silver apparel glistening in the sun. And we read that the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. So Josephus said he got stomach cramps. The Bible tells us what's behind it. The angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and we are told he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Within five days he was dead. But the little postscript to the chapter, the word of God grew and multiplied. You see, he was attempting to wipe out the church. He was going to set himself against the work of God. He was going to try to curry the favor of the Jews by attacking the leadership, putting to death the leadership of the church. So he took one of the major leaders, James, had him beheaded. He saw that it was pleasing the Jews, and so he put Peter in jail, was going to kill Peter also, and kill off the leadership and thus seek to destroy the church. But rather than the church being destroyed, the word of God grew and multiplied. Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Here the gates of hell were seeking to prevail against the church, but instead of destroying the church as the result of these things, the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. Now this takes us back to chapter 11. Barnabas and Saul were ministering in the church of Antioch, the Gentile church of Antioch. And they had taken up a collection for the poor brothers in Jerusalem. And so they had brought the money, the offering from the Gentile church of Antioch. They had brought it to the church in Jerusalem 
to help them in their needs. And this was their ministry, having fulfilled the ministry, that is, having delivered the money that they had collected for the church in Jerusalem. They returned back to Antioch, and they took John, Mark, with them. John, whose surname is Mark. So uh, Barnabas took his nephew, John Mark, back to um, Antioch with him, and that then brings us up to chapter 13 where the first missionary team was sent out, not from the church in Jerusalem, but from the church in Antioch. And from now on, the church in Antioch will become the main church of that time. And the missionary activities and the spread of the gospel will no longer be from the church in Jerusalem, but from the church in Antioch. And we will see that in our next lesson as we go into chapter 13. Let's turn down our Bibles to Acts chapter 13. The center of the church's activity now moves from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is in Syria, on the coast of the Mediterranean, or nearby the coast, there's a port city right nearby. And this becomes now the center for the church and the church's activity. And there was in this church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, such as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Emmanuel, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. First of all, I am interested with what diverse backgrounds make up the church. You see, in Christ we are all one. But in this church in Antioch, there were many diverse backgrounds. Barnabas, he was from the island of Cyprus, a Jew. Simeon, that was called Niger. Now, Niger was an African name. In fact, you have Nigeria. And thus, he was thought by some, interestingly enough, to maybe be the Simon of Serene who was called upon uh, to carry the cross of Jesus. Uh, Simeon and Simon are the same name. And being from Africa, and of course they compelled one uh, Simon, who was a Cyrenian, to bear the cross for Jesus. And it is thought that perhaps it is this same Simeon that was here. Lucius of Cyrene, which is Africa also, and Menane, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, or Herod Antipas. He was a boyhood friend of Herod Antipas, who, of course, ordered the uh, execution of John the Baptist, who was the son of Herod the Great. And so here, 
from many backgrounds, from the royal court to fellows from Africa to Barnabas from uh, the island of Cyprus, and Paul, who originated in Tarsus, but then was educated in Jerusalem. Notice there were prophets and teachers there in the church, and these were the prominent prophets and teachers in the church. And they ministered to the Lord. Now that's an interesting thing, isn't it? They were there ministering to the Lord. We usually think of ministering to the congregation. They were ministering to the Lord. I believe that the primary purpose of the church is to minister to the Lord. I think that the Lord created us for his glory in order that through the church he might receive praise and glory. As Paul repeated over to the Ephesians that we are for the praise of the glory of his grace. And the outflow, of course, of the ministry to the Lord is the ministry to others. But they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, while they were fasting and praying, was there just a voice that sort of vibrated that separated me? No. This no doubt happened by prophecy, the word of prophecy, as he makes mention of the fact that there were these prophets. And by the word of prophecy, Barnabas and Saul were separated for a calling and a ministry to which the Lord would call them. The gift of prophecy was exercised in the early church many times for divine guidance. Paul was warned by Agabus the prophet that he would be bound and imprisoned when he came to Jerusalem. When Paul laid his hands on Timothy to receive the anointing of God and of the Holy Spirit for his ministry. Timothy was gifted by God. And thus Paul later wrote to him and said, stir up the gift that is in thee that was given unto you by the laying on of hands and prophecy. So there was the laying on of hands of Tim, on Timothy, and while they laid hands on him, there was a prophecy that spoke of the gift that God was giving unto him. And so this is how the gift of prophecy was often exercised in the early church. One of those with the gift of prophecy by the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the ministry where I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So directed by the Holy Spirit, they fasted and they prayed and then they laid hands on them and sent them forth. So they being sent forth by the Holy Spirit. Now, it says they sent them forth, but in reality, it was the Holy Spirit directing the activities. And this is the secret of the success of the early church. They were depending upon the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct 
the activities of the church. They were looking to the Holy Spirit to guide in all of the activities of that early church. So the Holy, they were sent forth by the Holy Spirit and they departed to Seleucia, which is just right next to Antioch. It is the port city of Antioch. And uh, from there they sailed to the island of Cyprus, which is not far from uh, Seleucia. It's just a short distance across the Mediterranean to the island of Cyprus. Interesting enough, Barnabas was from Cyprus. And so he he was going to familiar territory. When they left Cyprus and went over to uh, Pisidia, uh, that's where Tarsus was there in Pisidia, so they're going still to familiar territory for Paul. Uh, he grew up in that area of what is present-day Turkey. So uh, they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were in Salamis, which is uh, on the island of Cyprus, closest to uh, the mainland from which they sailed. They preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they also had John as their servant. This is John Mark, who was a nephew of Barnabas, and his mother's house was where they were praying in our study last week, when Peter was delivered by the Holy Spirit uh, from the prison, and he went to the house of John Mark's mother uh, where the church was praying. So his mother was active in the church in Jerusalem. Her house was a place where the church gathered for prayer and no doubt for Bible studies. Mark was probably around 22, 23 years old. He is the author of the gospel, according to Mark. It is thought that he was around 12 years old at the time of the crucifixion. He gives an interesting little sidelight in his gospel that you don't find in the other gospels. And that is, when Jesus was arrested, there was a small boy there in the garden about 12 years old, and they grabbed him by the coat, but he wriggled free and fled from the garden naked. And that's his own little personal account of himself and what happened to him that night. But he was a little boy that was interested with Jesus and the things that were going on and a follower of Jesus. His mother was, of course, one of the disciples of Jesus, and thus Mark sort of grew up in that atmosphere. But now we're about 10 years later. And so that would put Mark in his early 20s at this point. And he was there to run errands for them, uh, to help them by uh, serving them, carrying the PA systems and stuff like that. return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Acts in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on Barnabas and Saul and we do hope you'll make plans to join us but right now I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message 
Simply order Acts 12 through 13 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, again, we are thankful for the work of your Holy Spirit in the church. And Lord, we just thank you for the variety of ways in which you work in people's lives. Thank you, Lord, for the way you've worked in our life. And now, Lord, we pray that we might be open to the work of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the way you have worked in the past, but we realize, Lord, that you might want to do a new work, and we want to be open to that. Lead us by your Spirit. Direct us, Lord, as a church. We recognize that Jesus is the head of his body, the church. And so, Lord, we're here to get instructions and orders from you. We're here to obey your will, to do your bidding. And so guide, Lord, in the ministry of this church. May we be, Lord, everything you want us to be, your witness unto the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Come study the Bible with Pastor Chuck Smith as he teaches from Genesis through Revelation on a digitally remastered audio edition of Pastor Chuck's Bible Commentary. That's over 600 audio MP3 files of Pastor Chuck teaching through the entire Bible, all on a 16-gig reusable flash drive. Now you can easily listen to Pastor Chuck's Bible Commentaries when you insert this key into your computer. Then you can transfer all of these audio Bible studies to a smartphone or any other listening device to learn and study God's Word on the go. And not only that, you can reuse this flash drive that easily fits onto any keyring for even more mobility at a fraction of the cost. What a great way to study and learn God's Word. For more information, please call the Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.